Hello, everybody. What's up? It's like it's been a while since I've been up here and said hi to you from the bench. That's why I felt the need to be exuberant in my hello this morning uh, and to like make sure that like I'm having throughout the show. Y'all, did y'all see this new owl this morning? I'm not gonna lie, it freaked me out. I, I walked in, I was like, what is happening? Was this elder approved, this new owl in the service this morning? It really was like, what, what's, what's happening? So apparently we have a new owl at Jacob's Well. It wasn't announced. It wasn't, I just, it just, it just, it's, it's just there. It's literally just there. So hey, some of y'all may not even noticed it. I'm the first person to tell you that it's there. So there you go. I just gave you that. Wow, man. So we are, uh-oh, I'm going to dance my way through the static. All right, so we are still, it's our second sermon in our Ten Commandments series, and I'm excited about this. I'm very, very excited because as I was thinking about this this week, church, I think that sometimes we as Christians can have a very tense relationship with the law of God. What do you mean? I feel like when the law of God comes up, when we're presented with it, or someone says, the law of God, are we following it? We immediately feel shame. So, all right, God, tell me how bad I'm doing. Tell me how much I'm failing. Tell me just, like, what a terrible Christian that I am. And God, as our Father in heaven, looks down at us right here, right now, and says, children, I don't exist to cause you shame. I exist to set you free. And I give you this law, these principles, these ethical values, these, 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 these laws that embody who I am, that embody my character. I give you these things because I know what's best for you. I give you these things because I want you to have life. See, because I know the alternative. And see, sometimes I think that we don't think long enough or hard enough on what the alternative is. Could you imagine if we did not have a moral and ethical code that went beyond the laws of this world? Right? Could you imagine if God did not set a standard for us and all we had to depend on was the laws of this world? Oh, my God. That's scary. And that's the alternative. The alternative are the laws of this world. You know what the other alternative is? Us. We set the rules. We set the standard. And I hope that we're not arrogant enough to think that we can call the shots. We're arrogant enough to think that we know what's best for us. Humanity has proven over and over and over again that we don't know nothing about living. Don't know nothing about life. And God says, see, I know that. And my response as your father, as a responsible father, is to show you the way. Show you how to live your life. Because I'm your creator. And as the creator of your life, I must show you how to live your life. I don't exist to cause you shame. I don't exist to make you feel like a failure. I exist to love and set you free. But you have to be free on my standards. You have to be free by my guidelines, right? 
And Pastor Scott spoke so eloquently last week. I, I really recommend that if you didn't listen to the sermon last week, please go back and listen to it. He spoke so eloquently about the fool's gold of freedom. Freedom is not all it's cracked up to be. If we were left to just do what we felt like doing, it would lead us to destruction. And this is the history, again, of humanity. It's also the history of Israel. When Israel did what it wanted to do, it always led to sin. And sin is not freedom. It's not freedom. It's something that we have to, that we have to come to terms with. So God is calling Israel to follow these words, these commands, and the only contribution that Israel has to make to their freedom, to their freedom is obedience. That's their only contribution. If you want to be free, obey. If you want to be free, obey. So, so we have to not look at the law as an object of our shame, as an object of our failure, but look at the law as an object of our freedom, as an object of our liberation, as an object of our opportunity to live a true, genuine, and full, whole life. The life that God has called us to, and not the life that the world calls us to, and not the life that we think is best for us. It's a call to freedom. The Lord says at the beginning, before he gets right into the law, this first commandment that we're going to talk about this morning, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. So before he gets into saying anything, he's saying, I am the one. Remember, remember Israel, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I am the one who set you free. So the Exodus experience, the Exodus story forms, right, that, that, that little narrative snippet forms the entirety of these commandments, right? God is saying, I am in the business of setting you free, but not just freedom physically from your chains, but also freedom spiritually. See, 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 I set you free from the chains of Egypt. Now I want to set you free from the chains of sin. Your liberation did not stop when I got you out of Egypt. You got to keep going now. So he sets the tone of this entire decalogue by saying, remember who I am now. I'm your liberator. I'm the one that set you free. And that is who I am. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. God is so good. Ain't he good? That's who God is, man. Remember. So I'm not doing this to cause you no shame. I ain't doing this to make you feel bad. I'm doing this to set you free. I want you to be free. Free indeed. So listen to me. Listen to me, children of Israel. Because remember, I am the liberator. I'm the one that set you free. And again, Israel's only contribution to their freedom is what? Obedience. That's the only contribution, right? So God is calling this Exodus people to live a life as an Exodus people, right? He, he, he's saying, in many ways, I didn't just say, you, don't, you didn't just leave Egypt behind 
you also left the ways of Egypt behind. Because Egypt, like most of the ancient world, was a polytheistic society, right? And Israel was trapped, enslaved in that world, in that kind of society for 400 years. So they got well adapted. They got very comfortable in that world. And, and, and they would at times participate in polytheism, right? And God is saying, see, look, I'm not shaming you for that. I'm saying you left that back there. I'm saying that you are no longer shackled by that place and by that empire. And when I set you free from that, that means you, that, that, means that you now have to live a new way of life, right? And it's the same way with us. I set you free from sin, right? So back then, when you were a sinner, the way you lived your life, you've been set free from that. So when I set you free, you leave the sin behind. You leave those sinful behaviors. You, you leave the object of your life to, 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 to live by the flesh, to live by the desires of this world. You left that behind when I saved you, and now you're called to freedom. So God's saying, I didn't just set you free from the place of Egypt. I set you free from the ways of Egypt, right? And God goes on to say, I am the Lord who set you free from Egypt. Remember that, right? And the first word, the first commandment, I am the Lord your God. You are to only worship me. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. I am the Lord your God. You, only, you are to only worship me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. It's just me. I am the Lord your God. And you only are to worship me. Now, to emphasize this point even more, right, in the ancient Near East, it was ruled and governed by polytheistic religions, right? So people worshipped many gods. They, they would be male or female. They would be animals. They would be the sun, the moon, the stars. They were, told that they, they, they were to be just and wise, but also there were some gods that were incompetent. They just worshipped them too. Right? But they worshiped many gods because, because the gods that they worshiped had different roles. They played different roles in their lives. So it was an inherently tolerant religious lifestyle. So the, the, the idea of monotheism was a radical and revolutionary idea. Y'all only got one God? That's it? Yeah, that's it. Just, just in case you didn't, just in case you didn't hear, the God that we serve took down an entire empire. The God that we serve literally said that the, the, one of the great empires in all of human civilization, God just knocked them out and set us free. So we good over here. We good, I promise you. But just one, just one, just one God. So this was a revolutionary idea in the history of religion, particularly at that time, right? But I'm more interested in this question, though, church. 
why does God start with this command? Why is this the first word? Why does he instruct Moses to say, hey, before you, before you tell the people anything else, tell them this. I am the Lord their God. They should worship no other person, no other God but me. Why does he start here? Thomas Aquinas, a great theological thinker, says this. He says that since God is the end of human life and all of civilization, therefore our worship of this God should be the, should be the first commandment. Martin Luther puts it another way. He says, Martin Luther, a, a, a great forefather of the Protestant Reformation, he says that the first commandment calls us to faith because everything proceeds from the power of this first commandment. So in essence, he's saying that our obedience flows from our faith, right? It starts with faith because if I have faith in God, if I trust God, then I believe him when he says, this is what's best for you. So my faith is the foundation of my obedience. It starts with faith. And faith starts with me saying, God, you the one. There is no other God before you. I only worship you. I only give my devotion to you. So that's why he starts there. And it's important to note here, too, church, that the idea of monotheism doesn't start at Mount Sinai. It doesn't start in Exodus, right? So if we go back to the creation account in Genesis, the reality that God created everything, right? He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals. The reality that he created everything topples any notion that we should worship anything else. Because if God created it, why in the world would I worship what he created? Right? If, if, if all of the earth is derivative of the one who has no origin, right, of the one who literally spoke things into existence, why would I worship anything else? So I can imagine in my spiritual imagination, talking to a polytheist at the time, and say, hey, man, you, you, you worship the sun? Yeah, son, son, that's, that's a good God. Is he? I worship the one that created the sun. Word? Yeah, man, he created the sun. You, you, you got a moon God too? Yeah, I got a moon God too, Doc. What? I worship the one that created the moon. Oh, my goodness, you kidding? I'm not kidding at all. And you worship animals? Yeah, them animals, man, them animal, them animal gods, they ain't nothing, they ain't nothing to play with, Doc. They, they ain't nothing to play with. You know, man, I like to eat animals. Piece of fried chicken to do me real good. But if you think I'm going to worship a piece of fried chicken over the one that created the fried chicken, you got to be out your mind. There's no way. Right? He said, yo, your God created all that? He created all that. It's kind of wild, ain't it? Right? Why in the world would I worship something that my God created? That makes no sense. Right? So this idea of monotheism is not new in the history of Israel. Creation itself, the fact that God created everything, speaks to the fact, right, that, 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 that I am the one, the only one who is worthy of your worship. So monotheism, it's not a new idea in the Old Testament or in the history of Israel. Now, 
This leads us to the question, right, in many ways. So, God, you tell me that I can't worship any other gods. The obvious question would be, so what other gods would I worship? It makes sense. But you know, God, I ain't about to worship no statue. So what God would I worship? I want to take you to Ezekiel chapter 4. Verses, chapter 14, my, my apologies, chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. See, here's the thing, church. Let's read this real quick. This is what Ezekiel is saying to the people of Israel. Then, then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their, of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, thus saith the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. So this is not a contemporary question. What idols? I ain't worshiping no idols. People of Israel, they're looking at God like, God, do you see statues anywhere? And God said, no, 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 no. You have created statues of this world in your heart. It's your heart that needs to be reformed. That's where the idols come from. What is an idol? Timothy Keller has a, a great quote. Timothy Keller, the, the archbishop of this church, <laughs> often quoted, rightly so. Timothy Keller has a quote. What is an idol? An idol according to Bishop Keller. An idol is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, what only God can give, is an idol. Right? So, it's very easy for us, particularly as contemporary people of these modern times, to say, I don't worship statues. I don't worship idols. Right? But Keller drills down a little bit. He says, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give what only God can give, is an idol. Bishop goes on to say that an idol is when we turn a good thing into an ultimate thing. When we, when, when, it is when we take good things like a successful career, Good things like, 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 like love, like material possessions, even family. It's when we take good things and make them ultimate things. We, we, we deify these things in such a way where we think that they are the center of our lives. Because we believe that these things give us significance. They give us security. They give us ultimate fulfillment. They give us safety. Right? So if I have these things, if I have a good job, if I have a marriage, a wife or a husband, if I have whatever I think will make my life worthwhile, if I can just have that, then I'll be set. If I could just have that, that whatever that thing is in our life, if I could just have it, then I'm good. I've arrived. And God's like, no, you have not. 
It's actually the opposite. You haven't arrived. You're lost. We're lost. Because the enemy has tricked you into believing that something in life can give you what I can only give you. Right? You can't get significance from anything in this world other than God. Right? Because, because significance, fulfillment, uh, uh, these things, if, if you're relying on worldly things to give you these things, you're going to have to shape shift all the time to please those standards, to please those things. And when God's saying, I'm not asking you to shape shift. I'm not asking you to change with the wind. I'm not, all I'm asking you to do is trust, have faith, be obedient. And my love is standard, right? My love is not shape-shifting. It is, it is anchored in the power of who I am and the nature of who I am. So when I say I love you, that's it. That's it. That cannot change. When I say that, 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 that your life has meaning, your life has value, and that if you follow my will for your life, you will, be, you will have ultimate joy, ultimate peace, ultimate power by my spirit. When I say that, that's it. That's not going to change. But in order for you to inherit those things, you got to follow me. You got to do it my way, right? And I promise you, these idols, they ain't going to give it to you, fam. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. Don't be swindled, right? And it, Keller goes on to say that, <laughs> I, love when he, I love the way he says this, right? He says that our hearts and minds are idol factories. That's what he says. What does he mean by this? He says, he means that we were literally created by God, in the image of God, and we were created to reflect that image. So if we're not, if, if we're not reflecting the image of God, we're reflecting the image of something else. This is why Jesus said that you can't serve two masters. You either hate the one or love the other, right? Because we were created for single-minded allegiance. So, right, so if you're, if you're in your life, if your heart it's not in devotion to God, and you're saying, yeah, God, you good, but uh, I'm struggling a little bit, right? You know what your heart's going to do? Your heart's going to be like, okay, you know what? Let's put our security in good grades. Let's put our security in a good job. Let's put our security in a good spouse. Let's put our security in something else. Your heart's going to look for something else to put its hope in, because that's how we were created. We were created to put our hope and trust in the, in the image of the one who created us. And if we're not doing that, we're going to somewhere else. And when we go somewhere else, that's how we end up lost. That's how we end up lost. So our heart is trying. It's doing what it was created to do. It's trying to make an idol of something. And God is saying that you only are supposed to worship and give your devotion to one thing, and that's me. Your heart it's doing what I created it to do. But when you don't make that choice to let me be that, let me be the object of your devotion, then your heart's going to go somewhere else. 
And that is why we have to be extraordinarily observant of our behaviors, our actions. We have to be reflective, analytical. Where is my devotion? Is it to something else or is it in God? Where is my ultimate value? Where is my ultimate security? Where is my ultimate safety? Where does my significance stem from? Does it stem from something over here in my life or does it stem from God? These are the kind of questions we have to ask so that we can obey that first commandment. Worship only one God and only me. I want to turn your attention to uh, Genesis 35. Our dear sister Ellen read it for us. So this is a, this is a, this is a, this shows us in, in, in many ways that this commandment in law stem from God's observations of his people, right? Because again, God knows that our heart was created for single-minded allegiance, and he also saw his people struggle with this tension. So he said, I need to put it in writing so that they know. And, and this is an example in Genesis before Exodus, right, of, 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 of Jacob, right, an early Israelite struggling with this tension. So here's what it says. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an, altar, make, make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, has been with me wherever I have gone. Jen Wilkin, a great biblical teacher, she reflects on this passage, and she says that what we see here in the family of Jacob, we see them embrace this both-and mentality and how it is situated in their hearts. So basically, this this is what they're doing. They're saying that God... Yahweh, you're my God, right? But just in case some other foreign God has a blessing for me, I worship them too. So it's like, God, I'm going to get your blessing. And foreign gods, I'm going to get your blessings. It's the best of both worlds. Dual allegiances, right? And when you look at the history of Israel, right, Their struggle with adultery never stemmed from them ceasing to worship God. Their struggle with adultery stemmed from them ceasing to worship God alone. That's what their struggle was, right? James chapter 1 verse 8, James in in, in the New Testament letter calls this double-mindedness, right? He says that we often can add a God to our life living almost a double life when what it really is, we're living as polytheists sometimes. Putting our hope in something over here and also saying, hey, God, you my dude too. You, you, you my God too. And God's like, ah, that ain't it, fam. That ain't it. That's not the way I, that's not the way I created this thing, right? And see, here's the thing. When we look at Jacob, we say, okay, Jacob, you struggling? But see, we have, to, we have to be radically honest with ourselves. 
We also live in that tension of I need God and. I need God and a spouse. I need God and a good job. I need God and a smaller waist size. I need God and, right? When God's like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Say it again. I need, stop. You need who? I need God, stop. Period. That's it. There's no end. I need God, period. I need God, period. I need God, period. No if and or buts about it. You need me. And see, here's, the thing. <laughs> here's, what, here's, here's what God is saying. If you trust in me, I will give you everything you need. If you trust in me, I will give you what your heart desires. I promise you. But, you, but, but, but it stops at me. You cannot have dual allegiances. Ooh, if you just say, I need God, watch me give you a spouse. If you just say, I need God, watch me give you a good job. If you say, I need God, watch me work in your life. Just me, though. Just me. Watch me give you community. Watch me give you what your heart desires. Because I'm your father. I care for you. I love you. You think I'm just going to leave you out here to dry? That's not who I am. But you got to do it my way. Got to do it on my terms. I need God. Period. No and, no but. You just need me. You know, it's interesting, looking at Jacob. It's almost like he comes to his senses. So look at what he said. He says, then let us go arise and go to Bethel, so that I may take there an altar to God, who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. <laughs> It's like Jacob saying, you know, these other gods, did they answer me in my day of distress? These other gods, have they been with me wherever I've gone? And see, this is the thing, church. We got to be real with ourselves. We got to have, we got to remember our history with God. What has God ever let you down? What has God ever left you? Right? Now, 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 don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Life is hard. And just because life is hard does not mean God left you. Just because life is hard does not mean God doesn't love you. Life is hard because of sin and the brokenness of this world. And God loves us so much that he has put a plan in place to where we're going to go to a place one day where there is no sin, where there is no brokenness. So, 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 so don't miss it. What I'm saying, just because your life is hard does not mean God has left you or that God loves you any less. And if we're honest with ourselves, when life did get hard, who do we go to? Who do we turn to? And, and, and do you remember how God brought you through it? He brought you through. And that God, all he's asking you to do, I just need your devotion. I need your single-minded allegiance. Remember the history. <laughs> Remember the past. 
and allow that to inform your future. That's what Jacob does. Jacob comes to him and says, God has been nothing but good to me. God has been nothing but faithful to me. So why would I give up on him now? Why would I put my trust in anything but him now? The God who has been with us since the beginning will always be with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And if we are to have all the benefits of his kingdom, and of the life he has carved out for us, it requires single-minded allegiance, single-minded devotion. There can be no additions. There can be no add-ons. I need God, period. I need God, period. That's it. Let's keep going. So they gave, they gave to Jacob, all their foreign gods. Here you go, Jacob. Take, take, take these gods that they had. And the rings that were in their ears, Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob takes these foreign idols and, he's, and he buries them under a tree. Now, this is fascinating. So Jacob could have done anything with these idols. He could have threw them into a lake, could have set them on fire, could have crushed them, but he buries them. And what's even more interesting about this is that that place where he buries them, go, go, go up one more, Andy, if you, if you would. The place where he buried them, the terebinth tree that was near Shechem, that place was known as a place of idol worship. So if you were to worship an idol, particularly at that time in that specific place, you would go to this tree. <laughs> so Jacob takes these idols to the, to the place of idol worship, and he has a funeral. It's time to bury these idols. I'm going to bury you in the very place where you're supposed to be worshiped. The irony is just, is just breathtakingly poignant, right? And the moral of this story, church, is that we are called not only to leave behind our idols, we're called to bury them. We're called to die to these idols. I want to take you to Colossians chapter 3, and I want to hear some words. I want, to, I want us to hear some words from Paul. This is what Paul says. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul is saying that we're not called to just leave behind certain behaviors. We're called to a new life, right? We're called to a new way of life. And in order to, in, in order to live this new way of life, we got to leave things behind and die to them, right? And I want to I talk about this practically. How do we die 
to old ways. Specifically, how do we die to idols, right? Because here's the thing. Here's why this can be extraordinarily difficult. Because as, as Keller said, we can take good things and make them ultimate things. So the things that we can make idols are good, right? They're just not called to be the ultimate. So here's, so, so here's what we have to do. Church, we have to be vigilant, right? God calls us to be vigilant people. So every single day of your life, a simple prayer that we can all pray. Lord, I invite you into my world. I invite you into the classroom. I invite you into my job. I invite you into my house. I invite you into my marriage. I invite you into my parenting. I invite you into my friendships. I invite you into the daily nature of my life, right? And when we invite God in, we're inviting him to counsel us, to guide us so that the good things we have been blessed with can be situated just as they are. They, they remain good, but they don't become ultimate. They don't become ultimate, right? But we need God to help us do that. Because again, our hearts, fragile things, man. We can make an idol in a minute. Like, oh, wait. Money, that's security. Let me just do everything I can to make the most money I can so I can be ultimately secure. And God's like, see, they, see, see fam, that, that's, 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 that's fickle. You can lose your job for, for, any, for, for any reason, right? And then what? Your security cannot come from that job or that money. Your security has to come from your faith in me to be the provider that I am for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you everything you need. And yes, it can be through a job, but that job stems from my faithfulness to you, right? So we have to invite God in. And if we're honest with ourselves, as you're listening to this now, you can identify right now, ooh, that might be an idol in my life. Ooh, I might be giving a little bit too much devotion to this thing. And fam, here's the thing. There's grace. Number one, God sees you, God, God, God hears you, God loves you, and he, want, he, he, he wants to guide you out of that. And you might say, but how do, what words do I actually pray? What language do I actually use? Because I desperately want to get out of it, but I don't even know how to pray my way out of it. Start here. Lord, give me the language that I need so that I know what I should be desiring after. Start there. Start at the very beginning with, Lord, I don't know. I need you to show me. Lord, I don't know. I need you to tell me. Lord, I don't know. I need, like, help me be vulnerable to share this with a community member, a fellow brother and sister in Christ, so that, they, so that, so that your revelation could, could, could potentially come through them to help me through this. Right? Start there. But we have to invite God into the daily decisions of our lives. And it's not as tedious as you think, church. It starts with literally saying, when you, when you wake up and you go to work, Lord, I invite you in. Lord, meet me here because I need you, period. 
Not I need you and. I just need you. And I need you to show me, God. Show me how to be devoted to you in every single way. And church, can I just say this? God's going to do that. I need you to hear me when I say, he will show up for you, he will reveal himself to you, and he will guide you. He will do it. I need you to hear me when I say, he will show up. But it takes vigilance. Don't just do it one day, take a week off, and be like, God, I don't hear you. Wait, I ain't heard from you in five days. Right? You got to be vigilant. Right? And this is not works-based faith. This is you, you, this is us trying to live into the freedom we've been called to. It takes effort. It takes work, right? It takes vigilance. Because, again, our heart is waiting to be like, yo, I'm about to put my devotion in, in these grades. I'm about to put my devotion in this job. I'm about to put my devotion into this, to, to my spouse. I'm about to put my devotion to my friends. Because they will be there for me. They will give me security. And God's like, Yikes. <laughs> Maybe for a little while, but let something pop off. <laughs> Will they be there for you? Maybe. Maybe, bro. Maybe. 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 But I've been, I've been here since the beginning, child, and I have seen it all. The only thing that's reliable is me. The only thing that's dependable is me. Trust me. And don't worry. I'm going to give you friends. I'm going to give you everything you need. But let your devotion start with me. I need God, period. As I come to a close, Moses, <laughs> the people of Israel are interesting people, right? People just like us. But I like to laugh at them sometimes. So Moses gets the law. He comes down from Mount Sinai. And what does he see Israel doing? He sees them worshiping a golden calf. And you know, in my Moses, if I was Moses, I just would be like, y'all are some of the most trifling, ignorant people I have seen in my life. What in the world are you doing? Like, like you're worshiping this golden calf. God just delivered you out of, out of slavery. What is this golden calf? I'm, I'm so I'm confused. Help me understand. And then I come back to myself. I was like, you know what, Jalen? You're just like them. You're just like them, right? When you lose trust, when you begin to doubt, what do you do? You revert back. We revert back. I do this. So I laugh at Israel because I think it is funny, genuinely. But then it's like, yo, tell you, you do the same thing, fam. You revert back when you lose trust. And this is why I love how Martin Luther says it. This is why this first commandment is a call to faith, right? Because obedience stems from our faith. So the moment we lose just a little bit of faith, we go back. We go backwards. Right? And when we go backwards, we sin, we lose trust, and we figure out this actually ain't the way, is it? And God's like, no, it's not. But here I am. I'm still here. This way. Follow me this way. Okay, God. Thank you. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And what we also realize, too, church, is that <laughs> at, at the foot of Mount Sinai, Right? We see already the need for a greater mediator than Moses. We see already a need for laws not to just be written on stone tablets, 
but also to be written on our hearts by the finger of the Holy Spirit. We see the need already at the foot of Mount Sinai, that there needs to be someone greater than Moses to stand in the gap between us and God and, and, and bring us back into reconciliation. Moses, you're cool, fam, but you ain't the one. You ain't the one. Good dude, though, man. Good dude, but you ain't the one. We need someone greater. And oh, my God, I'm so happy this morning that someone greater did come. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, 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 who by his very life, who by his glorious sacrifice stood in the gap, paid a debt that we could not pay ourselves and made us worthy in front of our Father. Because he stood in the gap and said, I got you. Just this one time, I am the one Lord and Savior that can set you free from the sin that so easily besets you. And by the power of his spirit, because Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, you know what he did? He annihilates idols. He annihilates uh, uh, d- d- demonic strategies by, by, the, by, by the enemy. He annihilates them. He says, take my spirit, child, and you can do the same. Take my spirit, child, and you can overcome. At the foot of Mount Sinai, we see the need of a great mediator. And glory be to God, he came. He showed up, and now we have been set free by his glorious sacrifice. We go to God in prayer. God, we thank you. We thank you so much, Lord, for the sacrifices you've made for us. God, thank you for your law, a law that was sent to guide us, sober us, to lead us into our freedom. God, we're thankful that we are not saved by the law. We're saved by your son, Jesus Christ. But we are thankful for the law and its standards and how it communicates your character, your values, your justice, your freedom. God, I'm thankful that we've been called into that. I'm thankful that you loved us enough to set a standard for us so that we have something to aspire toward as we pursue you and chase after you daily. God, my prayer is that we invite you into our lives, that we welcome you into our lives so that we can take hold of everything you have for us. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.